preachers the gospel to
That'll get you shook up, right? Amen. It'll get you excited. It ought to. Well, again, we're glad to have Evangelist Dave Summerdorf with us. The second time he's come to Parkview. And uh, Brother Dave goes all over the country. He and his wife, and uh, they minister in different churches. Of course, uh, taking the vehicle with them to encourage patriotism. And uh, Brother Dave did our uh, spring revival, did a great job for us. And God used him in a mighty way. And we're proud to have him here for today and tonight's services. Brother Dave's been an evangelist for 17 years. They have six children, him and Deborah, and they have now seven grandchildren. They've had a few added since last year. So we're proud to have the man of God here today. Brother Dave, you come and preach to us today. God bless you, sir. Thank you, Pastor. And good morning, church family. And again, a very special welcome to our visitors and guests. And uh, appreciated all the branches of service that were recognized. I want to say thank you to our veterans, also to our veteran spouses and the parents of veterans as well, for each pays a price for that element we call freedom. I want to remind you, if you're here this morning as a visitor, please see my wife before you leave the service. Uh, I think they do have lunch scheduled afterwards as well, but en route to that and receive the complimentary video production of the car that was posted out there but now is put away due to your Michigan spring weather. Uh, I think we had a thunderstorm en route and I dashed it into cover, put it under cover. But uh, you say, well, I want to see the car. If you're visiting today, you can still see it through the $30,000 video production. It's a gift and a thank you from our family to yours for being our guest today. So if you are visiting, see my wife right here. Just right, yep, I just say the prettiest lady in the building. Amen. <laughs> Hopefully you'll look, all you husbands with that comment would look to your wife to see if she has a DVD. But no, my wife has them. Please see her and we'll gift that to you. I want to read a couple things real quickly and move into the message. Thank you for having us today. First of all, this is a little dedication to all the troops. My daughters, from time to time, send Dad newspaper clippings. This one was from a newspaper in Georgia. The headline of this article was as follows, Assailant Suffers Injuries from Fall. Orville Smith, a store manager for Best Buy in Augusta, Georgia, told police he observed a male customer later identified as a Mr. Jones of Augusta on surveillance cameras putting a laptop computer under his jacket. When confronted, the man became very irate, knocked down a store employee, drew a knife, and ran for the door. Outside on the sidewalk were four Marines collecting toys for the Toys for Tots program. Smith said the Marines stopped the man, but he stabbed one of the Marines, Corporal Philip Dugan, in the back. The injury did not appear to be severe. After police and an ambulance arrived at the scene, Corporal Dugan was transported for treatment. Quote, the subject, Mr. Jones, was also transported to the local hospital with two broken arms, a broken ankle, a broken leg, several missing teeth, possible broken ribs, multiple contusions, assorted lacerations, a broken nose, and a broken jaw. Injuries he sustained when he slipped and fell off the curb after stabbing the Marine. <laughs> <laughs> according to a police report. <laughs> if you're in the Army, you'd say, hua. If you're in the Marine Corps, you'd say, hurrah. <laughs> All I thought was, man, a 12-foot curb, whoever saw that thing coming. <laughs> and you got to love it when law enforcement goes ahead and backs you up and covers your six. And I want to say to every man and woman 
who's ever served. There's a camaraderie, not just in the Corps, but in every American who's defended our country. And we may be different branches, different ages, different colors, but when it's incoming, we close ranks. We're on the same side. And I am proud to be called an American. But even greater than that, I'm so glad to be a Christian. And I became that at the age of 18 as a young Marine in 1980. On that note, may I read one more thing and then move into the message. Alexis de Tocqueville was a French observer who visited America in the 1830s. He'd seen the bloody French Revolution, and he was a student of nations and their history. Upon visiting America, he stated this, Quote, I sought for the keys to the greatness and genius of America in her harbors, in her fertile fields and boundless forests. I sought for her greatness in her rich mines and vast world commerce, in her public school system and institutions of learning. I sought for her greatness in her democratic congress and in her matchless constitution. But not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret to her genius and to her power. He said, America is great because America is good. And if America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. The psalmist simply said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And if there's any goodness in our land, it derives not from self, but from a Savior who's a true and righteous Savior upon whom the foundations of this nation were founded. It is my prayer today, this pulpit flames with righteousness. And on that note, I want you to take your Bibles and go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, once you find your place, if you're able to stand comfortably, stand with me, and I'll know that you have it. If you do not have a Bible and someone is near that you're able to look on with, I would invite you to do that as well. For this morning, it is not my opinion that really matters. Could I say this morning, it really isn't your opinion that matters as well. It is the opinion of God that matters most of all. And the Bible gives us God's opinion on matters. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, in verse, four, or verse number 1, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I provided me a king among his sons. Verse 4. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and called them to the sacrifice. Verse 6. And it came to pass, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Notice the Lord's interesting response in verse number 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. And notice the reason for refusal. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. 
For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass for Sammy. He said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. He said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? He said, There remaineth yet the youngest. Behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all the beautiful countenance to look to, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Here we see in our narrative that God is finished with King Saul. He's instructing Samuel to anoint the next king of the nation of Israel. Could I remind you this morning that this familiar story we just read together? This isn't a story about talent. This isn't a story about kingdom timing. This isn't a story about intelligence or even ability. The story you and I read together this morning is a story of the heart. You see, the question is begging to be answered is this. Why was David... Why was he the one chosen above all of his other brothers to be the next king of Israel? The answer clearly was this, because of his heart. Got a message for all of us this morning, young and old, regardless of race or creed. And the message is this, the heart of the matter is this, it is a matter of your heart. It is a matter of your heart. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege to be here. Lord, we thank you for the heart of our veterans, their willingness to lay down their lives for our freedom. But Father, we thank you for the heart of our Savior, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, willing to die for our sin. And Lord, as we consider this morning that topic of the heart, I pray this morning for every man and woman, boy and girl that's here, that, Father, you would speak to their heart. We recognize this morning that you see our hearts and you know them even better than we do. And I pray for that heart this morning that's empty, it's unforgiven, it is without a Savior. May today be the day that, Father, you regenerate that heart, you quicken that dead heart. Father, you make them alive. Their faith finds a resting place in Christ alone. Father, for the dirty heart, I pray you would cleanse it today. For the bitter heart, you would sweeten it. Lord, for the cluttered heart, you would simplify it. May today the words of our mouth, and Father, the meditations of our heart be acceptable in thy sight. For we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The heart of the matter this morning, it really is a matter of your heart and my heart. As you and I consider this, maybe it's right to begin the thought this morning by asking the question, what is the heart? When the Bible speaks of your heart, it's not referring to the organ inside of you right now that's pumping blood. 
When the Bible references your heart, it's not talking about the little Valentine cutout shape that we find on cards in the middle of February and we give to a loved one. But when the Bible speaks of your heart and my heart, it speaks of something entirely different. Noah Webster in his 1828 dictionary, along with other scholars and theologians, he defines your heart as follows. He says your heart is the seed of all your passions. It's the source of all your desires. It's that rudder inside of you right now that turns you anywhere it wants you to go, makes you do whatever it wants you to do. And someone so wisely said, your heart is who you really are when no one else is watching. Do you know this morning of everything about you, how your creator assembled you, created you, and put you together, it's your heart that he prizes more than anything else. It's the source of all your desires he's after. It's the seat of all your passions that he wants. And God sees your heart this morning, though no one else may. God sees your innermost being, and it know, he knows it even better than you do. And your heart is very important to your God. It's important to him for a couple of reasons, but the first one is this. The Bible records it very clearly because sin is a matter of your heart. Disobedience to God is a matter of your heart. The breaking of the commandments of God in your life is a matter of your heart. Go to Jeremiah with me. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 9. In Jeremiah chapter 17, in verse number 9 and 10, God gives us a glimpse of what he knows about your and my heart. He shows our heart in its natural condition, untouched by his grace, untouched by his mercy. Listen to how he describes the source of all your desires in its natural condition, untouched by his grace. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this, the heart. Everybody has that? The heart. You, you say what? The source of all your desires, the seed of all your passions, your innermost being that man cannot see, but God can see. The heart is, listen to this, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then God answers his own question, I, the Lord, search the heart. Look up for just a moment. Do you notice when God, who knows your heart, he sees your heart even better than you do, when he describes your innermost being in its natural condition, he ascribes to it words that are less than glowing. He ascribes to it words like deceitful, desperate, and wicked. Now when I hear those words, I think of a certain person I've met. As I've traveled America for the last 17 years, stopping at Walmarts and Kmaparts and truck stops and all those other places. And it's the homeless guy with his little cardboard sign. I'm going to tell you, I have met the best of them. And I don't give them money, but I, I don't ignore them either. Because Jesus died for them just as much as he died for me. And so I deal with them and work with them. I remember we were in Central Florida a few years ago. It was late morning, and we were out in the countryside, and all of a sudden, there was a knock at the door of our RV. I thought, who in the world do I know out here? 
I opened the door and there was a homeless guy in his mid-40s, every worldly possession he owned on his bicycle. And he was looking for some money. I said, well, man, I don't do that. But let me ask you a question. Have you had breakfast? He said, no, sir. You got anywhere to go for lunch? He said, I got nothing. I said, well, let's take care of that. So I borrowed the church van, loaded his gear, loaded his bike, loaded him. And for the next two and a half, three hours, we were joined at the hip. I took him out and fed him. I told him about the love of God demonstrated through Jesus Christ and how Christ could be his Savior. I took him and brought him some clothing items from the local store. And our time was drawing to a close. He had found a halfway house that was going to put him up for free for three nights. But he had to have a printed background investigation with him from the local sheriff's department. So over to the sheriff's department we go. He gave his social, and while he went outside to burn one, I waited at dispatch for the handoff. About three minutes later, the little lady behind the desk, she leans forward, she taps the glass, and I turn, she leans into that little microphone, she said, sir, could you come inside, please? I thought, now wait a minute, I'm the guy that's supposed to be leaving, he's the guy that's supposed to be uh, staying, they mixed us up, you know. And so I went to the little side door, and she opened the door, and I stepped inside, and she closed it really fast, she said, how long have you known this guy? I mean, really, like, ooh. I said, well, not that long. I, I kind of picked him. I actually, he kind of picked me up, maybe about three hours. Why? She said, do you know he's wanted in five states? <laughs> that wasn't the story he told me. <laughs> he told me an entirely different story. And that isn't what unnerved me, because everybody has a story. It's not what he told me, it's how he told it to me. He looked me in the eye. He never went ahead and flinched. He never acted guilty or blushed. You see, in his desperation, he had learned to become incredibly deceitful. He could tell a absolute bold-faced lie and believe his own story you need to recognize inside of you is somebody just like that in the form of your heart your heart will tell you you're okay with God when you're not you'll you'll tell your heart will tell you God is pleased with you when he's not your heart can tell you you're lost when you're saved and you're saved when you're lost you Cannot trust your heart. It's deceitful. It's desperate. And it's wicked. And it's the reason you do wrong things. Go to Mark chapter 7. Watch, watch the New Testament here. None other than our Savior who knows men's hearts. So well, listen to what Jesus Christ himself says about the source of all your innermost being and the seed of all your desires. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus Christ, speaking of the heart, he identifies it as the source of sin. In Mark chapter 7, li listen to this and follow along in verse number 21. Jesus Christ is speaking here. And he says in Mark 7, 21, for from within... Look up for just a moment. Whatever Jesus Christ is about to speak about, he's not talking about something outside of you. He's going to be talking about something inside of you, all right? So he says, for from within, now he identifies it, out of the heart of men. That word men is mankind, if you will. Men and women, boys and girls, proceed the following. Listen to what your heart produces. Evil thoughts. Adulteries. 
fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness. Your heart produces wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, getting somebody to lust after you. Your heart has an evil eye. It produces blasphemy, pride, foolishness. In verse 23, Jesus Christ reconfirms all these evil things come from within and defile the man. Could I say it very clearly today? Sin is not the result of a poor education. Could I have an amen there? That young fellow that, that blew up and, and fired off those rounds in Aurora, Colorado a few years ago was a medical student. Sin is not the result of a poor education. Sin, sin is not the result of your ethnic background and what race you are today. Sin is not the result of your uh, lack of money or finances. Sin is not the result of the neighborhood you grew up in. Sin doesn't originate outside on streets. It originates in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, and then gets manifested on the streets. Sin is a matter of your heart. Boy, we saw this truth come through years ago in a somewhat humorous way in our family when we got on the road. We stepped into evangelism 17 years ago. We entered into a motorhome with six children. Ladies, do not complain about the size of your home or kitchen. I called it submarine warfare. <laughs> but along with our family came a little mascot named Patches. Patches was a miniature Australian shepherd. He was my oldest daughter's dog. And in lieu of the horse we promised her, we let her take her dog. I didn't feel like towing a horse trailer around America. <laughs> and Patches was about 35 pounds, a lovable, huggable, adorable. So said the kids. I just called him Norton. And when we got on the road, I really didn't know how Patches was going to take to the road. And some dogs get motion sick, you know, they don't do well, hard to housebreak. But boy, he took to it like a duck to water. And everything was going so tickety-boo, but all of a sudden this one moment happened. We were in a Walmart, doing what everybody does in Walmart. You meet people and you spend money. And while we were in there, I turned to my wife and said, I, you know, I got to go back to the motorhome and get something. And so back to the coach, I, I, I went. And as I put the key in the door, I started coming up the steps. Patches met me on the top landing, and he was acting very strangely. Now, that breed, when it thinks it's in trouble with the alpha male, and clearly that was me, they do funny things. They'll draw their lips back and smile. They'll turn their head to the side. They'll scrunch their little fanny up. They'll press themselves to the floor. And he's scrunching and smiling and acting real guilty. I said, what's your problem? And he scrunches and smiles. I finished my ascent. And as I turned to go down to the motorhome, I saw why he was doing that. In that 10 or 15 minutes I was in that Walmart, we had the trash can filled to overflowing with everything you could, scraps, leftovers, I mean everything. He'd gotten into that thing and he had strewn it from one end of the motorhome to the other. You say, well, what'd you do to Patches? Well, let me just tell you, so I don't offend anybody unduly. When I grew up in Minnesota Farm Bowl, we shot dogs for less than that. Now, the dog was free, 
Dad never paid a dime for the things, you know. They were easily replaced. I had some coin into this one. And then I joined the Marine Corps, and that didn't give me any more group hugs and purple dinosaur moments. So just, I'll just say it, I shredded him. And when I got done, he found refuge under the dinette, and I'm picking his trash up, talking to him the whole time. His eyes are as big as saucers. The point has been made. And on the way out, my last parting shot was, don't you ever do that again. And as I did that, he was like, yeah, 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 got it. So I figured, hey, that was so much for the dog whisperer, you know. I mean, that worked, you know. And so three days later, I'm in a Walmart again, and we're in spending money, and patches is loose, the trash is full, but he had a near-death experience. He's not going near that thing. And I told Deb, I said, hey, I've got to go back to the coach and grab something. Back I went, put the key in the lock. I didn't take one step up that landing, and all of a sudden, there he was at eye level. He's scrunching, and he's smiling, and he's scrunching. And I did. I stood in the parking lot, and I looked at him, and I said, you, you didn't. And with every little fiber in his doggy body, he seemed to say, yes, I did it again. I know I'm a bad dog. I know I'm probably going to die, but I couldn't help myself. And I did it again. And this happened a third time to finally. I said, this is nuts, man. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get turned into PETA. I'm going to join Michael Vick in prison. I'm going to, you know, I mean, this isn't cool. You know what was interesting? I never caught him. He caught himself. I didn't know what he'd done. It was also interesting that when I was in that motorhome in his presence, he would never touch the trash, even if I was sound asleep, unaware of what was going on. But when I would leave his presence, what was inside came out. It came out. He knew it was wrong. He knew he was going to pay a price. But he couldn't help what was inside. It overrode it all. Some of you are looking good today. You've dressed up for the occasion. You look like you're doing fine. But you get alone, unsupervised, you turn into something else. You can blame your mommy. You can blame your daddy. You can blame a church. You can blame a politician. You can blame a preacher. But the cold hard facts, you get into the trash and do filthy wicked things because you have a dirty, wicked, filthy heart. You've got a problem inside of you, not outside of you. And until you make book on this, until you meet God on that truth right there, the second truth I'm going to preach to you won't help your heart. We're living in a society today that is a blame-shifting society. And yet the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. You will stand before God one day. You'll give an answer for how you lived and what you said. Those things done in secret will be shouted from the housetop, Scripture says. Our God has the ability to record, replay, and present the evidence. And I believe with all my heart, for those that have refused the refuge of a Savior, your sin life gets laid out, your own words pointing out where people are wrong, God uses your own judgment to show you that's exactly who you are. You will not file an appeal in that day. You will wish a million times over you got that dirty heart to God so He could cleanse it and save your soul.
Sin is a matter of your heart. So says God. Sin is a matter of your heart. So says God. Sin is a matter of the heart. You say, preacher, I get it. And I have struggled and I get in the trash, so to speak. There's things in my life that indicate my heart needs help. You got anything besides this? I do. For the Bible records a second great truth, and it's this. Salvation from that sin is also a matter of your heart. Go to Romans chapter 10 and watch with me. In Romans chapter 10, it's just a two-point message this morning, but in Romans chapter 10, the Bible records a second great thing about your heart and my heart, and it's not simply that sin is a matter of our heart, but it's also that salvation is a matter of the heart. Look at what's said in, in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9. Listen to these incredible words. The Spirit of God sends these our way. Look at this incredible promise in Romans 10 and verse 9. It says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine, what's the word? Say it again. Heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And notice the reconfirmation in verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Wow, do you see the second great truth about your heart and my heart this morning? It's this, salvation is a matter of your heart. You cannot get saved without your heart, according to the Bible. You cannot become a Christian without your heart, according to this Bible. Salvation is a matter of the heart. I, I want to take a sidebar here because I think it's important to note today, I'm finding the further we go in American history, the less people know about their Bibles. And the less words mean anything. It's all how you feel. So let's define something because words and their meaning and usage have changed over the years. Simple words like faith and believe, how we use them today is not how they were used when this Bible was written. You say, well, why is that a big deal? Because you can't go to heaven without faith and belief. You can't get saved without faith and belief. You can't have your sin debt all wiped out without faith and belief. Listen to what John 3.16 says, and you can complete this for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But what kind of belief? Not all belief in Jesus takes away your sin. Not all belief in the person of Jesus Christ delivers you from hell and the lake of fire. Not all belief in Jesus guarantees you a place called heaven. For the devils believe also and tremble, James 2.19 says. How about Ephesians 2.8-9? Speaking of faith, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, salvation is a gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. But what kind of faith? Not all faith in Jesus makes you a Christian. Amen? Ah, there's a faith called historical faith. You know what that is? That's the faith that simply says, I believe in a fact. For instance, how many of you believe Abraham Lincoln was a president of the United States of America? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Raise your hands. All the, hopefully all the hands go up. How many of you have met him? 
<laughs> That's historical faith. You're accepting information at face value and considering it to be true. Do you know that's called historical faith? Historical faith in Jesus doesn't save you. Historical faith in what Jesus did doesn't save you. Simply reciting a creed and, and agreeing with it does not save you, cleanse you from your sin, and give you a home called heaven. Listen to the faith that saves it's called evangelical or justifying faith. Noah Webster, 1828, he defined it as follows. It's a mental ascent of the mind to the truths of the gospel. You have to believe the record. Accompanied with the yielding of the will and affections. And then a humble reliance on Christ alone for salvation. Did you catch that? Let me go through that. It's a tri-dimensional thing. It is a mental ascent of the mind to the truths of the gospel. You have to believe what the Bible says about who Jesus is. But remember, the devils believe also and tremble. But it's accompanied with a yielding of the will and affections. That's your heart. That's biblical repentance. That's dropping the reins and surrendering to who he is. And then a humble reliance on Christ alone, like boarding a ship for salvation. It's a faith that doesn't just come from here. It's a faith that comes from here. Lester Roloff said it this way, you're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is not alone. It's living. And boy, we saw this truth come through. I was talking to my daughter, Kimberly. She was a fourth grade teacher at a church up in Virginia. And one day she called up and said, Dad, I've got a prayer request. I said, what's the request? She said, I've got a young lady. She's in her uh, probably early 30s, and I've been given the chance to hold Bible studies with her on Thursday after piano lessons. And Dad, I want you and Mom to pray for her. I said, well, how do you want us to pray, Kimbers? She said, you know, she knows all kinds of truths. She probably knows her Bible better than I do. But there's absolutely nothing about her life that says she belongs to Jesus Christ. There's nothing there. I need wisdom. And so we began to pray, and she would hold studies. Then one day came along. She called all excited. She said, Dad, you've got to hear this. I said, what? She said, you remember the girl you've been praying for? Sure. Well, my singles director held the study today. And he's working his way through the study He's sharing with her what it means to be a believer. And suddenly, in the middle of the study, she takes her pen, she slams it down, and she says, now, wait a minute. I believe everything you believe. And Dad, she said, she began to check it off. I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Check. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Check. He was crucified. Check. Buried. Check. Rose again. Check. So I believe everything you believe. What makes what you believe different than I believe? And she said, Dad, you should have heard his answer. He smiled, he set his pen down, and he said, that's easy. What makes what I believe different than what you believe? What I believe changed my life. You know what he was saying? He didn't just accept information up here. He believed it down here. Jesus died as a historical fact. Even Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes about this one called 
Yeshua. Jesus died for sin. That's a theological truth that our Bible colleges teach to this day. But Jesus died for my dirty, rotten, wicked, filthy sin and beckons me turn, drop the reins, and jump across and grab him to be my Savior. That is a life-changing faith. Let me make it very clear. You can get saved without a prayer. I never prayed when I got saved. You get saved without a preacher. You get saved without a preach, priest. You get saved without a church. You can get saved without anybody present. But you cannot get saved without your heart. Why? Because salvation is a matter of the heart. Your religion won't save you, but Jesus can. But you'll have to come to him with your heart. Your baptism will not cleanse away your sin, but Jesus' blood can. But you'll have to come to him with your heart. The thief on the cross said, remember me. Now what those memorial stones are this time of the year? People don't want to be forgotten. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom, he said. He meant it with all his heart. He said, we deserve what we got coming. He said to the other thief, shut your mouth, we deserve this. And then he turned to Jesus and asked to be remembered. Dead men don't remember people. He knew there was a resurrection. He never joined a church. He never got baptized. He never did one religious thing. He just looked to the Savior with all his heart and begged him to remember him. And Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise today. Look at our text in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Look at this great truth one more time. And then I'll invite you to respond this morning. But the Lord said unto Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 7, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance. But the Lord, he looketh on the heart. God sees your heart today. God knows it even better than you do. And I want to ask this morning as we extend an invitation for you to respond. What does God see and know about your heart that we don't know? Does he see a clean heart or does he see a dirty heart? Does he see a forgiven heart or does he see an unforgiven heart? Does he see an empty heart or does he have a heart and see a heart that's inhabited by his son? The heart of the matter this morning, it is a matter of your heart. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord. You don't need to stand. Father, we thank you this morning that you are a king and a God who not only sees hearts, but Father, you hold those hearts and move them whithersoever you will. Lord, this morning I pray for that one that is among us. There's an empty, unforgiven heart. They've tried to fill it with reform and reformation. They've tried to fill it with good intentions. They've tried to fill it with religion, and yet the nagging thought of the conscience is not enough. 
Lord, I pray this morning they would turn their eyes to your son. They would see him as their only hope for heaven. They'd recognize that without him there is no possible way to heaven, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and without this Savior, they'll drop into hell and then the lake of fire. Lord, I pray for that empty heart that needs a Savior. May today be the day they drop their reins and trust him. Father, I pray for that bitter heart. Father, you would introduce to it a very sweet Savior. Lord, I pray for that dirty heart that you would cleanse it. Lord, today the needs of our hearts are before you. And help us to allow you to search us, to try us, to know us. And Lord, when you show us our heart, may we be honest and agree with you and respond for the help we need. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.